Well, Happy New Year, everyone. I had to say it over the screen last week, but good to say it in person to you today. And to those of you online, uh, hey, glad you're tuning in with us. Well, uh, it is day eight of our prayer and fasting, 21 days. And as a church, we've entered into this season to say at the beginning of a fresh new year, we're going to live out Matthew 6.33 and seek first the kingdom of God. So... Some of you have just completed the longest fast in your spiritual life. And I wanna say, way to go. Really, really cool. Church, if you could know how uh, your staff has taken this seriously. Uh, They have jumped in with a fervor, not only for themselves personally, but also uh, advocating for you and the ministry of this church. We talked this week uh, in our staff time and I posed a question to the staff, what are you contending for in these 21 days of prayer and fasting? What is it that is causing you to fall on your knees and say, God, with all the fervour in my being, would you move in this area of my life? Would you bring breakthrough? Would you increase the volume of your voice in this area? And we did uh, two areas. We said, what's an area personally that you're contending for? And then what's an area in the ministry, in the life of our church? Uh, Maybe a ministry that you lead. And again, if if you could have been in the room, you would have been so proud. Your staff named things like, God, would you fall with fresh fire this year on our church? God, would you increase volunteerism in the life of our church? Would we grow deeper relationally with one another in growing spiritual friendships? And we just had a really powerful time together. And I wanna present that poignant question to you right now. What are you contending for in these 21 days? Uh, Maybe you haven't jumped on board yet and I wanna invite you to do so. It's just day eight of 21 days. You can jump in and get involved in this. You can go to our website um, and click on and see all the resources and so forth. Get the daily video devotions. Um, They can either be text to your phone or come by email. Uh, The pastoral staff have done fantastic with those. Have you been, I know you have, because I've seen it, but would you show your appreciation of the pastor staff for those? Yeah. So uh, many of you know this, uh, one of my rhythms, I like to come here on Saturdays when this room is empty and I like to pray for you. And uh, it's empty so I can come up here and kind of do whatever I like because no one's gonna see. So, but last night I just was uh, stuck on this what are we contending for question. And I had this moment where I came here and I just, to this section sitting here, I just spent some time praying for you and contending for you that you would, this morning, sense the voice of God in your life. And I didn't pray for any other section. <laughs> oh, I, didn't. I then went on to you guys and you in the center, you guys, you're on the far, and then everyone in the balcony. 
and I just had my hands up and I said, God, I contend for our church at the beginning of 2023. Would you do a new work like we've never experienced before? Would you move us spiritually in such a way that we were changed, that 22 is different to 23? We are not the same, that there would literally be a before and an after effect in the life of our church. I said, God, would you move in such a way that our area hears of the hope that is found in the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you do a new, fresh, work in our church. And so again, I wanna ask you, what are you contending for in prayer at the beginning of 2023? What is arresting your attention before God in such a way that you are so hungry and thirsty for the Spirit of God that you say, I contend for this, God. Would you move in this area? Would you heal this relationship? Would you bring physical healing? Would you bring me employment? Would you bring breakthrough? What are you contending for? Well, I wanna ask you another question. How is your prayer life right now? Do you ever struggle with how to approach prayer? We talk about what you're contending for, but some of us just need to kind of step back and have some honest reflection around our prayer life. We, we know like, prayer is universal. A, a study done a few years ago found that 17% of atheists admitted to praying. <laughs> and then <laughs> further 30% of unbelievers confess to praying regularly. It's kind of an oxymoron. I don't believe it, but I'm gonna do it. But let me continue to speak personally to you and say, how's your prayer life? My guess is, if you were to answer that question with no fanfare, most of you would say something along the lines of, although I know I'm supposed to pray, I probably like the idea of praying more than I actually practice it. Maybe you're like me and you struggle sometimes with focus. And if you would ask that question, you'd say, I, I like praying, but when I sit down, it feels like the last uh, experiences and thoughts that I've had in the previous 48 hours all come like a flash flood into my mind all at once. And it's like uh, this reel from uh, Jasmine Jones. Have a look at this. Anyone relate with that? You sit down to pray and your mind just goes wild, right? Jasmine is uh, actually one of our student leaders and a young adult here at our church. She uses her Instagram uh, platform to promote the gospel. You should follow her at Jazz Mason Jones. And speaking of platforms you should follow, you should also follow this platform at New Hope Movement, right? But let me go back to this challenge about just being honest around our prayer life. To, to speak loftily about what we're contending for brings upon a practical question of actually, 
how we're doing in prayer. And I've spent some time looking at two particular factors that tend to impact our effectiveness in coming around prayer. You know what? We, we actually have a lot of defeating self-talk when it comes about our prayer life. And if I was to ask you, hey, rate your prayer life, you would probably say it's, it's not as good as I would like it to be or as much as I should be. So two practical factors, and I wanna present a practical response to these factors. The first is what we should pray. The content. Like when we sit down to pray or we take a moment of being still before God, What's the content of prayer? What, what, what should we pray? You see, I don't think we always know what we should pray. Sometimes we approach a season like this as a church where we're called to 21 days of prayer and fasting and, and you sit down, it's like, okay, uh, here is rapid fire of all the things, God, that I'm contending for in these 21 days and it's this and 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 then you get to the end of it and kind of, that doesn't totally feel right that God is just the source of everything I want and to give it to me on my terms. And it doesn't feel that you've connected with God. There's a sense that prayer matters, but it shouldn't just be a wish list or a shopping list presented to God. I wish I prayed more, I'm just not very good at it. Well, I wanna read a scripture that speaks directly into that honest conflict that we sometimes connect with together. And so with that, would you please, if you're able to, stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word this morning. So there's this time where uh, there's a couple of Jesus' disciples and they're a, a little far off from Him and they're watching Him pray. And they start talking amongst themselves and saying, I wonder how he's doing it. I wonder what he's saying. And one says, you should ask him. The other one says, well, you should ask him. And one gets up the courage. And when Jesus finishes praying, he comes up to him and he says, what did you just do? What did you just say? How did you do that? And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your ch children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, 
Do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. How do we approach prayer? Have you ever wondered what an actual mental map looks like? Is there a a framework? Not so much the process of prayer, but the content of prayer, what we should pray. So let's unpack the answer that Jesus gives his disciples here for a moment. This prayer that is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And I wanna just move us through five memorable movements in this prayer. This is something that I've held as a mental map for many years now. When I jump in the car and I'm gonna go into a time of prayer, I I, I remember this kind of structure, this movement, five movements through this. Or when I go up in the morning for my chair time or I'm writing a letter to God, I kind of just hold this mental map of a framework in place. And so the first movement, the key word is honour. Jesus says, Father, may your name be kept holy, or the traditional interpretation, hallowed be thy name. Start your time honouring God, everything you know about who he is, his attributes, and so forth. And the reason that we do this, or what happens when we do this, is you deliberately change the atmosphere in which to pray into. You move from Jasmine Jones like traffic thing with all these things happen in your mind and you steal them by declaring who God is in your life. You deliberately set the atmosphere in which to pray into because so often in our lives, God is dethroned in what we experience in our culture and taking a time to declare to Him that He is indeed sovereign and the leader of your life you put him back on his throne. And so you start there and you say, God, you are faithful even when I'm not. You're a forgiving God and a righteous and just God. You are generous to me. You are merciful and gracious. You're a protector. You're my shelter. You're my provider. You're my healer. You're all knowing, you're all present, and you're all powerful in my life. You start doing this, and it changes the atmosphere in which you pray into. Instead of the invading thoughts dominating your time, now you've started to set the tone and the environment in which to pray into. This removes the distractions of our thoughts. And the second movement that Jesus shares that we should do is the key word, will. May your kingdom come soon or your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The author on the topic of prayer, Philip Yancey, writes this. It occurs to me, thinking about prayer, that most of the time I get the direction wrong. I start downstream with my own concerns and bring them to God. I inform God as if God did not already know. I plead with God as if hoping to change God's mind and overcome divine reluctance. Instead, I should start upstream where the flow begins. 
when I shift direction, I realise that God already cares about my concerns. My uncle's cancer, world peace, a broken family, a rebellious teenager, more than I do. Grace, like water, listen to this, grace like water descends to the lowest point. Streams of mercy flow. I begin with God who bears primary responsibility for what happens on earth. And I ask what part I can play in God's work on earth. This movement is about the decisions, the actions that you'll do today. Asking that His will will direct your behaviours, your attitudes and your actions that growing more in the likeness of Christ in our lives, aligning more to the will of God in your life, more than simply getting the to-do list done for that particular day. Where you go, what you do, will be in alignment with the Holy Spirit's activity in your life. The next movement is the word today. After you have honoured God, you've submitted to his will in your life, you then seek him for his provision today. God, would you be active in my day today? Give us each day the food we need or give us our daily bread. Eugene Peterson writes, praise and thanksgiving are always appropriate, certainly. And it's certain that our final prayers will all be praise, heaven reverberating with our amens and hallelujahs. So practicing the scales of praise is always a good idea. But for here and now, we mostly ask. Jesus taught us to ask. Bring to God all that's happening in your day. Present before him, ask for his guidance to go before you in meetings, appointments, people you'll see, places you'll go, people that you'll connect with. Theologian Dallas Willard writes, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend he is answering our prayers when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. So we honour God, we submit to his will, we ask for his provision today, and then in Jesus' model, next he says the key word, forgive. Scripture says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Author Tyler Staten writes, God has an instinctive gut-level response to our sin and the havoc it wreaks in our lives. He is not cold and calculated. Scripture presents God with a deeper, more personal, emotional response to our condition. The author of Hebrews describes Jesus' response to sin as empathy. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. This is such an important movement in the content of our prayer. For the things that we do, the things that we knowingly do that displease God, these become the barriers and blockages from us fully realising the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
when we continue to do things that we know displeases God. There is a separation between us and His favour. And in 1 John 1, it declares, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And the last movement in Jesus' model is the key word, help. And don't let us yield to temptation. Bible scholar Alastair Begg says, he is, as we often say before we come together in prayer, far more willing to bless us than we are ever to take the time to ask him. And that's why it is so crucial that we would take seriously the privilege of prayer. Bring to God all that's on your mind, the challenges, your struggles, and present them before God. For God loves the humble spirit of His children that would come before Him and just say, I've not got the answers for this work issue. God, I'm I'm looking at a flashing cursor on my screen. I need to write this paper for school. God, this this relational rift that we're walking through right now, this employee that's not doing as they committed to do. I haven't got the answer. God, I need your help. These are five movements for you to have a mental map. If you have a rough idea of the the Lord's Prayer, you can use this as a memory aid to, to walk through both of them. And so to say the first thing is to honor to submit to His will, today for His provision, to forgive, and then to ask for His help. And this gives us that mental map to come before Him. And the second factor that we are so often not effective in our prayer is because of our lack of acknowledging our adoption in Christ, who we are, our identity, as a child of God, how we approach God as his daughter and his son. Have you ever wondered why sometimes spiritual disciplines are so incredibly challenging in our lives? Like, let me get practical. It's a lot easier to be on time for the movies than it is to be on time for church. It's easier to get up in the morning for another purpose other than your chair time. Why are there so many calendar clashes that seem to happen on life group nights? You see, there's an opposition to when we make a deliberate decision to grow spiritually. Many of you are here this morning because you're curious about growing spiritually in your life. And, And when we practice spiritual practices, we, we seem to have opposition to it. It just doesn't come as easy as other activities. Like, there's other disciplines in our lives, like uh, I'm disciplined with my budget. I'm, I'm disciplined to go to the gym or um, the diet I'm on. That's not a good example while we're fasting. Um, but other areas where we have discipline, but then when it comes to our spiritual disciplines, we just feel to have an opposition. Well, that's because there is an opposition at work, a force direct opposition to those spiritual activities. See, the enemy doesn't mind if you're on time for the movies, but if he can distract you from being on time to church, he doesn't mind what you do other than going to life group on that night, but he just wants to distract you from it. See, when it comes to you deciding to grow spiritually, 
when you get serious and deliberate about God taking up more real estate in your heart and your life, you activate and trigger the full weight of the enemy and the kingdom of darkness to be unleashed against all of those activities in your life. And the goal is for him to distract you and to pull your attention away at all costs. If he can achieve this, again, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as it's not benefiting your spiritual life, then to Satan, that's a win. Don't get caught up in good activities that are not spiritually benefiting you and think that the enemy's not happy about your activities. He's only gonna come on you when you are deliberately deciding, God is gonna take more real estate in my life. I'm gonna do the things to move forward in my spiritual life. Then you better believe it. The enemy's gonna be there. The enemy's not back here. Doesn't matter what you do. It only matters to him if you are desiring more of Jesus in your life. That's when you'll get his opposition. Now here's the good news. The devil is stinking predictable. He is not creative like our heavenly father. The same weapon he uses to come at you with is exactly the same weapon every stinking time. It's the same one. He has one weapon that he comes against you with. And if today you could grasp that, if you could move to a greater understanding, then that knowledge of truth would have a disproportionate impact and propel you closer to God more than maybe you have ever experienced before. You wanna know what weapon he uses? It's your adoption, your identity as a son and daughter of God. He comes into that space to try to distract and prevent your spiritual growth. Friends, it's always the same. He attacks who you are. In the Scriptures, in Matthew 4, there's this time when he actually comes against Jesus and he uses the exact same weapon. Is it little wonder that what he uses against Jesus is the same that he uses against you? Right? Let's look at this. Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and for 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. What does he mean if he's the son of God? Verse four, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say. See, Jesus tells us where our identity is to be found. We go to Scripture to understand our adoption in Christ. It's where Jesus shows us to go. Go to Scripture, go to Scripture. Verse five, and the, the devil took him to the highest point in the temple. And he said again, if you are the Son of God, jump off. This is twice, exactly the same weapon he uses. If you are the Son of God, jump off. And again, same attack. And Jesus says to question that identity is an insult. He responds, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Verse eight, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, 
if you will kneel down and worship me. Kneel down is an insult on Jesus' identity. The king never kneels. Three times, same weapon. If you are, if you are, and do something that is not who you are, right? Same thing. He comes at Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity with the same weapon that he comes at you and I with. He felt like this was the shrewdest, most cunning way to attack Jesus. Friends, we need to call this out for what it is. Verse 10, Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. Maybe we need to do that a little bit more. Recognise the weapon and say, get out of here, Satan. The lies that you are trying to put on me, the label that you're putting on me is not my identity. I'm a daughter of the Most High. I'm a son of the Most High. I'm an adopted child of God. Understand, one of the reasons that we find prayer sometimes ineffective in our lives is because we come from a posture where we question our adoption as a child of God. You know, the boldness, the confidence that you come when you know who you are in Christ, that's how you approach the throne room. The confidence, you must understand our adoption is constantly being questioned by the enemy. But Jesus gives us a really crucial, significant response. He addresses it head on in his model prayer to his disciples. So if I was to ask you, let's say I grabbed a microphone, I, I, I went around and I took it to your seat and said, okay, you have one word. What's the most important word you would choose for in prayer? If you could choose only one, what's the most important, most crucial word you could choose? What word would you choose to say? You could only choose one word. Jesus answers that question. He says, pray like this, and he begins with the most important word, Father. There is no more important, crucial, asserting statement that is the endearing term reserved for a specific person as the word Father. This should immediately arrest our attention. The God of the cosmos, who spun a billion galaxies into existence, his sovereignty and majesty occupies space and time in an unapproachable holiness. And through Christ, he allowed us to indeed approach the unapproachable, to come close to him in prayer, granting us the ability to cry out to him, Father, we get to call the holy God, Father. We're adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. Again, the words from scholar Alastair Begg. What we discover is that when Jesus, in answering the request of his disciples to know how to pray, says to them, the first word essentially out of your lips should be the word, Father. This very designation and the ability to call God by this term is a wonder of Calvary. Because prior to our conversion, we were not in this sense the children of God the Father. Indeed, we were cut off from Him. In Ephesians chapter two, it says that we were without God. 
and we were without hope in the world. In fact, when Jesus addresses the Pharisees in John chapter eight, far from them having God as their father, he says, in point of fact, you belong to another family altogether and your father is Satan himself. Therefore, our adoption flows from our redemption. And at salvation, God immediately puts one word on our lips. God immediately deposits into our hearts and into our lives one word, the word Father. The word Father. Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, had a particular appreciation around this word. And he writes, this is indeed a very short word, but it includes everything. Not the lips, but the feelings are speaking here. As though one were to say, even though I am surrounded by anxieties and I seem to be deserted and banished from your presence, nevertheless, I am a child of God on account of Christ. I am beloved on account of the beloved. Therefore, the term Father, when spoken meaningfully in the heart, is an eloquence, the most eloquent of men that have been in the world cannot contain. For this is a matter that is expressed not in words, but in sighs, which are not articulated in all the words and all the auditors, for they are too deep for words. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8:14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Listen to that again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba is this Aramaic word. And it, it often gets translated in English to the word daddy. But I, I, I would argue that that falls a little short. See, to, to translate Abba to daddy leaves some reverence on the table to have a more accurate understanding of that Aramaic work, word Abba is to understand the term dear father.